listening to ACDC Beyond the Thunder, the podcast with the biggest balls of all, with your hosts, Kurt Squires and Greg Ferguson. It's time to rock. It's time to power up another episode of ACDC Beyond the Thunder. Hello again, listeners. This is the show where extraordinary fans get a chance to salute this extraordinary band called ACDC. My name is Kurt Squires, and we've got Greg Ferguson riding shotgun over there alongside engineer Mr. Eric Kielb. Thanks for plugging in to part two of our episode with Mike Frazier. Canadian record producer, engineer, mixer, and essentially the sixth member of ACDC. When we last left our hero during part one of our episode with Mike, we spent the entire time not only focusing on uh, his recording career, which is astounding, but also his work on ACDC's Razor's Edge, Ball Breaker, Stiff Upper Lip, Black Ice, Rocker Bust, and everything in between. So Mike, a warm welcome back to ACDC Beyond the Thunder. Howdy, boys, from Beyond the Thunder. How you doing? Oh, <laughs> uh, We received such good feedback on your episode, I have to tell you. We left our listeners with a bit of a cliffhanger because at the time of our recording, which ultimately became part one, we had no idea that Power Up, now ACDC's 17th studio album, even existed. But believe us, we were trying to dig information out of you, man. And we knew something was brewing, but lo and behold, Mr. Fraser, you are tighter than a Phil Rudd drum kit. So we have to say, well done, well done, keeping your secrets to yourself and holding your cards close to your chest. I think even the ACDC camp, we're getting a little nervous there for a while. So how does it feel not to have to keep a secret anymore? Uh, well, it's a bit of a, you know, uh, a weight off my chest for sure. Uh, but, you know, we had done this two years ago, so it's sort of... Uh, been off my mind now. <laughs> you know, once once you finish the project, you move on to your next project, and uh, and then all of a sudden, it's, uh, this record comes out, and it's like, oh yeah, right, <laughs> that thing. <laughs> well, and and to to throw our scent off even further, when we were talking with you, this is so brilliant, brilliant what you did. I don't remember. I don't know if you remember this, but we wanted to play this unreleased clip from part one to give our listeners an idea of just how well. Mike put up a smoke screen in order to keep things on the down low for us. Eric, can you play that for us? Yeah. Well, if you had to make yeah. a prediction about ACDC, what would it be? Well, I predict they're going to hang it up pretty soon. Oh. Um, I know I know. Angus wants to keep going, but, you know. He's the young Cliff guy. He's retired now. Yeah. Uh, Brian's, you know, said he's retired now. Um I think it's I think it's time to just you know say hey we we've done awesome boys let's uh, let's retire now wow so that's my well, thought smokescreen man you did it <laughs> <laughs> takes the pressure off me anyways <laughs> yeah well it was a pleasant surprise following that uh, interview with you to find out that. You were just pulling the wool over our eyes. (laughs) So now that the curtain has been lifted for part two, we thought it would be a great idea to first discuss the making of Power Up. And then Greg had the great idea to have you field listener questions served up from fans around the globe. So does that sound like a plan? Sounds great. Well, we all know that 2020 has been a disaster of a year. 
that is until ACDC released Power Up on, of all days, Friday the 13th, this past November. I have to tell you, Beyond the Thunder is a show about how this band has affected so many notable fans in unique ways. But here's an instance where ACDC is there to lift us up, right? The, the music makes you feel good, fuels your soul. And for 40 minutes or so after putting on this record that you engineered, I feel that the world has corrected itself. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it was great that it was towards the end of the year, you know, like in November, because it's just been such a crappy year. And, you know, everybody's spirits are going down and down and down. They come out with this record and it's just like, bang, it almost erased all that and put some joy back into the world. And it's great to hear a, a, a good new rock record come out, you know, it's just uh, fabulous. Yeah, you're right. There's not a lot of rock out there. And um, if anyone does it the best, it's ACDC. So even the title alone, Power Up. So let's start there, I guess. How did that title come about? You know what? All that stuff happens after we're done the record. Uh, everything usually just has working titles. I don't think they even had a uh, title or uh, artwork or anything. But, uh, you know, I'm only privy to stuff that happens in the studio, anything they do behind the scenes and that, you know, I, I have no idea. I, the same as you guys know about as much as you do. <laughs> I often wondered about that. Like, was there a whiteboard with title ideas and they get you involved? And I know some bands do that, but um, I didn't know if they were the type of band to do that. Yeah, we usually have a, a you know, raceable marker board up and we put, you know, the songs and, and usually little squares of, uh, you know, bass, drums, guitars, second guitars, uh, vocals, background, you know, and we kind of X them off as we get going. So you can, it's kind of like a, a running progress chart. So coming in the morning, you see what you got to do for the day. And, oh, yeah, we got to get back to that song and put some backgrounds on. And, you know, it just kind of keeps us on point and organized. In um, August of 2018, you had mentioned it's two, been two years, unbelievably. You get the call to meet up in Vancouver. Miraculously, the most authentic version of ACDC shows up right there in the studio in front of you. What's the first thing that you guys dive into? You know what? I I honestly don't remember. Uh, you know, I remember walking into the studio, and I had no idea what we are going to walk into, uh, what, you know, form of the band, because at that point, you know, Brian was retired. Uh, Cliff was retired. Phil, not sure what his status was going to be, you know, and I walked in and, and there's everybody there, the whole, the whole gang again. And, uh, you know, it was probably a good hour of hugs and high fives and, <laughs> you know, That's it great. was, uh, wow, what a feeling to, to have everybody back together again and, and do another kick at the can, you know, it was great. That's incredible to me that you didn't even know until they showed up. <laughs> it's so funny. Yeah. Is there ever an organized group meeting or a game plan to kick off a new album? Like, you know, does Angus get up there in front of the boys and say, welcome back, or maybe Brendan, like a pep talk or anything like that? Not really. You know, I'm sure Angus and the boys had many conversations and that, like I've seen in uh, some of their interviews now, you know, I guess it all kind of the, the seed was planted uh, during Mal's funeral. Uh, when they're all together again. So I'm sure there's uh, quite a few phone calls there. But, you know, when we get into the studio, it kind of, okay, let's get down to business and let's get going, you know, yeah. because we're all kind of family. So it's, you know, you don't need to sit and, and make any speeches or whatever. It's like, okay, let's do it. <laughs> yeah, roll up your sleeves. Let's get busy. And this, is, for all intents and purposes, this is this is like, is this going to work, you know? 
these guys hadn't been together for a while and um you know uh brian had some hearing issues and cliff had some issues and phil had some issues so this is kind of like they probably were a little nervous themselves probably a little bit but you know again you know they've been together for so long and and you know uh it's just a very comfortable you know like it's a family reunion and you get in and uh you know uh we were wondering for sure what direction and where this was going to go but you know you always knew it's like acds and they get together and everything's always great so <laughs> yeah i don't think there's nerves let's talk about the first track realize which is the second single released off power up when we first dropped the needle on that thing, the production alone hits you like a Mike Tyson uppercut, man. This, you know, just there's got some reverb on Brian's vocals. It's got thunderstruck like chants. There's melodic Angus guitar fills, and it sounds anthemic. You know, it's big in your face, groovy. There's a lot of layers going on in that thing. Well, I've got to give full credit to it, you know, to, to Brandon and, and Angus. They were really the workhorses on on this record. Uh, you know, I was there engineering and everything, but uh, all the production, all the the stuff and the ideas, that was all Brendan and, and Angus for sure. Yeah. My second thought was, what in the world would this song sound like if it were stripped down? and placed on an album like Flick of the Switch, uh, which obviously you you have the ability to do that, uh, the, but the sonic quality of these new songs is immense. It's like night and day. Oh, wow, great, thank you. <laughs> yeah. um, Angus mentioned Realize was one of the first songs he and Malcolm wanted to go back into the well to salvage from the Black Eyes sessions. What, what was your reaction to kicking off the album with this tune? You know, they each tune was kind of individual. Like uh, we would come in, and uh, I, I can't remember even if we started. Realize was the first one we started recording, but we would sort of dive in at you know, sort of three of the songs at a time, uh, sort of finish them all up with guitars and everything, and then and Brendan and Brian would kind of disappear and go put vocals on. Um, I'd I'd get the vocal tracks back and in, into my session and and go oh wow that's where it's going you know because sometimes you can't really tell with just bass and drums and and a few guitars on it uh, on how it is so you know you don't ever have any perception of how this each song's going to end up until you get to the end you know so it, it's almost a little bit of a surprise as you keep going along and you don't ever have any sort of preconceived ideas like I remember when we we're doing. Uh, Thunderstruck, you know, that was just another good song in the bunch that we were doing for that record and had no idea that it was going to turn out to be one of their anthemic songs right. uh, down the road. So uh, we're just in there doing our job and, and, you know, hopefully at the end of the, at the end of the race, everything, uh, everything turns out good. Right. There, for those of you who haven't heard part one of Mike's episode, you should check that out because he goes in great depth about Thunderstruck and the recording of that song, which is, which you mentioned your probably legacy of an ACDC song. Would you, would you concur with that? Oh, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I yeah. mean, it's right up there with the highway to hell and back in black and, you know, yeah, all those classic anthems. Uh, Greg and I actually, we have real jobs and uh, we, we do a lot of producing and directing and editing TV commercials. And 
when we're editing, we come up with probably, I don't know, 20 different versions of an ad sometimes. Does that happen with an ACDC song? Well, uh, you know, these guys have always kind of done their records uh, kind of live off the floor. So there's there's not really too many directions. Uh, though, again, I would say that, uh, you know, with Brendan and Angus would work through a song and some of Angus's ideas and riffs, and they'd build it into a song form so that then when we go out on the floor of the whole band, everybody's got an idea of what the song's going to be. So while they're going through it, maybe there were a few uh, twists and turns and try this, try that. But, you know, once we got the song together, they want that live band feel. So uh, it's pretty together when we go to cut it uh, on the floor. But there's no version, there's no like Mike Frazier version of Shot in the Dark, let's say. No, <laughs> you wouldn't want to hear that. <laughs> <laughs> Um, speaking of Shot in the Dark, we got a glimpse of the new ACDC single, um, which was released a month before Power Up came out. After the album was recorded, would you have bet that that was their lead-off single after hearing all of them together? You know, again, I, I'm not uh, any judge of that. Like it, To me, any of the songs could have been. Uh, yeah, and uh, you know, with not knowing what the album was called and how the artwork and how it was all going to be uh, presented, uh, you know, you don't know which direction uh, all the powers to be want to take it. So I had no idea what the first one was going to be. Okay. So you didn't have a favorite in, you know, in your mind that you said, you know what, they should probably leave with that. That's a good one. No. And I, I think all the records I've done with them, I've ne there's never been a clear, uh, you know, first runner other than maybe uh, play ball was one that you heard. Say, okay. That one's going to be a single, you know, for yep. sure. It just had yeah. that. Uh, radio quality or whatever and uh you know sports teams are going to grab that up or whatever you know so you sure. knew that one was going to be a leader but all the other records you know i mean all the songs are really strong and really good so it's like it could be any direction any anyone could lead it you know yeah and to not have brian singing the chorus was pretty radical for the band on shot in the dark right yeah well um, again that's that's brendan's brilliance yeah that was a brendan idea yeah yeah. The one changeup for for I think most fans is through the mists of time. Um, that's a, like a wow departure, um, not only as a song title but the song itself. What was your what was your first reaction when you heard that song? Well, that song, you know, it's it's just very melancholy. So, uh, and I think I can speak for for most of us out there is that you know when you hear that song, you just go right to thinking about Mal, and uh, you know perhaps it was the tip of the hat to Mal on that one. You know, it's very. Uh, I saw somebody had put together one of those unofficial videos or whatever with the song, and, and it was all old shots of them and through the midst of time, and you know, it kind of makes you tear up a little bit. Uh. Power Up, um, more than anything else, we really noticed the attention to detail on the backing vocals, um, assuming Brendan 
had a big role in that. But there, there were some woo-hoos and some ahas and some oh-nos. And I was like, whoa, this is different for ACDC. Some poppy hooks in there. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, we've always, on this one, you know, Brandon wanted to get some more of the sort of from their past records, how they were, some of them had sort of more gangy vocals and stuff like that. And on all their past records, uh, Mal always sang on it, and he's got such a distinctive voice. So we got Angus in there singing on that because very, very similar voices. And I tell you, on some of those, I could swear it's Malcolm singing. You know, it's wow. like, it's really, really cool how, how we did that. Wow. I bet, I bet there was a lot of those kind of feelings in the studio. And um, especially, like you said, it's a family atmosphere. Angus's wife was still doing all the cooking, was she? Yeah. Yeah. Ella was there and, and lifting spirits and keeping the keeping us fed and you know feeding us healthy and making nice little you know smoothies and all sorts of stuff yeah, it's a great great vibe having her there wow that's quite a, a a marriage that's been like 40 years that that's one of those rock and roll marriages that have lasted it's just very very cool to hear um you know the lyrics are much more thoughtful i thought with angus this time around does he show up with scraps of paper hanging out of his back pocket or how does that work yeah no he's got a big book of 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 stuff and i guess lyrics and idea whatever and he'll he'll flip through the book and you know him and brendan will sit there and then brendan says well you know we, we need a different chorus or something so angus will go off to a room by himself and hammer something else out and bring it back up to brendan they'll give it a try with brian and uh uh you know i think it comes together pretty quickly there may be points where uh they need to change a word or a phrase or something like that. But um, it's quite cool looking through the book. He, he's got all his ideas all the way back to, you know, Highway to Hell and, and before that. So it's, wow. it's kind of neat seeing the kind of wrinkled up pages from from back in the heyday, you know. So it's cool. Oh, my God. Someone needs to scan those pages before he loses it at the airport or something, you know. Yeah. No, he's got it pretty safe locked up in his, in his stuff. Good. You know, my personal favorite off uh, Power Up is Wild Reputation. Honestly, can't tell you why. It just has a similar Power Age gone shooting kind of groove to it that is on repeat in my house. And I love the sound of Phil's hi-hat that you got and the snare. And I, I was just wondering, does Phil ever like lean over and say, hey, hey, mate, can you turn up my drums just a little bit louder? <laughs> No, no, because, you know, once we've got everything tracked, um, though this record was a little different because, like I said, we we sort of attacked three three or four songs at a time. But once sort of all the drumming's done, uh, then Phil, Phil went home. So um, everybody else stayed because we needed Cliff in there. But usually once their parts are done, they want to get home to the family, you know, yeah. so... Uh, Phil was just there for the drumming and none of the mixing or anything like that. You get out of my way. I ain't stopping for nobody. What's your thoughts on Wild Reputation? I'm just curious if your, your memories of that tune. Well, I like the swagger. I like the swagger of the song. Uh, wow, man. Like it's just got a, a cool thing to it, and um, you know, one of the I guess sort of a surprising thing to me, you know, once we sort of finished the whole record was that a lot of the songs seemed to span other 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 records. You know, uh, 
you know, a lot of their songs, you know, are, are similar and the same and they, they keep reinventing themselves with the same, you know, bunch of chords and all that. But on this record, like, like you say, some of it, you can go back to the, you know, stiff upper lip, uh, you know, different eras you could pick out and say, oh yeah, that would fit on really good on that record. So, you know, once we're done the record, then I start musing and saying, oh, I wonder if that song was from the pile of stuff Mal and Angus did during X record or whatever, you know, because yeah. I know, I know Angus has got quite a pile of, of ideas and stuff. And I know some of the songs were going to get worked up for record. And I saw Angus said in an interview that, you know, Mal says, ah, now let's, we'll do that one later kind of thing. So, yeah. Uh, you know, they, they could have been done in those eras and that's, that's why they've got the flavor to them, but it's quite neat because it's a, uh, makes for a bit of a different record. So it's just not all sort of, this is from this era. It's, it's got a little bit more of a historical, uh, reference to it for a new record, you know? It does. It does. Even a track like Demon Fire, um, it's a blistering rocker, sort of a sister track. I bet it was from the days of Safe and... New York City, it sounds like a sister track to that or Caught With Your Pants Down or something like that, that same little riff. Um, so I get it that they just pull them out of the pile. You know what I noticed there? I didn't know if you had anything to do with this. Angus has a little guitar lick in that track where it almost sounds like you put a Dick Dale pipe pipeline echo effect on his guitar. Do you remember that little piece? Not specifically, but you know, I know while he's doing his leads, we like to put a little bit of a slappy life thing to it so that he can play along to it and uh you know it just feels a little bit sort of more rock and roll and less rock you know it doesn't have big long echoes and all that's always got a little short tight little chuck berry thing or something you know yes yes We had talked to Brent Hines from Mastodon on Beyond the Thunder. We haven't released the episode yet, but he had followed ACDC in the studio after they'd worked on Black Ice with Brendan. And he wanted details from Brendan about their recording process because he's such a fan. And Brendan told him there was one track that Cliff had a particularly tricky time nailing a bass line on for Black Ice, but which is kind of fun to hear. Nothing, I mean, everyone goes through that in the, in the studio, of course, but... Were there any moments on Power Up where there was a definite hurdle for one of the members to nail? You know what? I think every song had its trickiness. Um, you know, like in particular, like Cliff kicks ass all the time. But back, uh, and I forget what year, what record that was, he had had an accident and, and severed all his tendons in his That's left right. hand, I guess it is. That was right before Black Ice. Yeah. yeah. And then through, and that, I think that's why that record was delayed because they waited for Cliff to kind of get through rehab and see what was going on. So he comes back, but I think there's a finger or maybe two fingers that he can't, can't put any, you know, muscle pressure on. So to play the bass is, oh my God, is really difficult. But you wouldn't, you wouldn't know, you know, you forget all about that. And, you know, there'd be something that's, oh, uh, we missed a note there or something. So he says, yeah, I know. He says, just really having problems pushing that down, but you know, he powered through it and, and, you know, there might've been a few little things we got to go in and fix up like that. But uh, you know, it was all, it was all great. Like everybody, everybody played great, you know, especially for nobody knew the song until, you know, the, the sort of the completed idea would come down and, and sort of run through it a couple of times. And, okay, go, <laughs> you know? So, I mean, obviously in the first couple of takes there's some mistakes and, 
and people forgetting, oh, shoot, yeah, that's the chorus or whatever. But, you know, it gets ironed out really fast because, you know, those guys are so used to playing together that, you know, they can kind of get their cues with just an eye glance at each other or whatever. So that's amazing. That's amazing. Do you and Brendan ever go back to the Mutt Lang trilogy of ACDC albums to use that as a benchmark for sound because they're sonically just amazing? Or are you like, nope, this is my own thing. I got my own sound going. Yeah, we, we just kind of do our own thing. Uh, I don't think in any of our minds we ever refer back to any of their old stuff, you know, uh, Power Age or, or, or anything. You know, this is this is now. This is what we're doing. Um, yeah. You know, there might be a point where we'll be doing something down and then one of us or somebody would say, oh, yeah, that's that's a lot like, you know, we did and blah, blah, blah. And sometimes you'd make an effort to say, well, let's not repeat ourselves then. You know, yeah, like you right. want it new sounding and, you know, what's past is past. I think, you know, Mal and Angus both have always said. <laughs> right. So the album is completed and you guys are all, you've gone your separate ways. How much did you get to tinker on your own even before going to LA to work on the touch-ups and stuff? Is that something that you play around with uh, and surprise the guy with guys with a few ideas? Nope. No, it's, you know, it's done. When we were done, uh, we packed up all the gear, packed up the tapes, got them safely on their way to L.A. Uh, I think we might have had a week off and uh, flew down to L.A. and then got right back to work, you know, mixing. Okay. All right. So what was that, like a s- couple of months process from start to finish? Uh, I think I was down there maybe four weeks. Uh, okay. And then... Uh, then I came home, and I think Brendan and, and Angus went in and did a couple little fix-ups of things that that weren't quite right, or uh, you know they didn't they wanted to remix a section or a bit of the song, so they did that on their own rather than fly me all the way down there again. So they might have been another month, maybe a couple weeks going through okay. stuff. And, yeah. Well, have you talked to any of the boys or even Brendan since Power Up has come out to? you know, relish in all of its success. It's number one in multiple countries and the fastest selling album of 2020. It's pretty amazing. Uh, well, you know, I just was kind of reading that this morning because, you know, I've kind of been under the hood the last two weeks and uh, saw something in my feed come up and it was like number one in the eight countries. And I'm like, wow, that's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> that's yeah. great. I haven't talked to anybody. Uh, Brian and I usually swap emails fairly often, but I haven't uh, talked to them since the records come out. Uh, you know, I know they've been busy doing interviews and doing all their stuff. I've been busy, so we haven't talked yet. No. Well, I have to say the record company did a killer job on all the marketing and promotional material, and they've made a lot of money off of me. I know that in one week. <laughs> I'm a big fan, so, you know, did they ever send you anything? Like, did you get any swag or anything like that? Or even an album? Nothing nothing yet, but, you know, it's <laughs> brand new, and, and i got to buy it at the show. Oh, right, yeah. God, I hope they go on tour. This is uh, killing us all. So before we get into these questions, Mike, thanks for talking about Power Up. That was fun. Uh, is there anything else you wanted to say about Power Up or to the fans or to the guys since you haven't talked to them just to relish in its success? Well, you know, it's just to me, it's amazing uh, seeing on some of the, the ACDC fan sites the the absolute love of this record and of the band. And it's just really exciting to to see because, you know, when you're in there working and I know with the band, they, their, their fans are always first and foremost in their mind, but you have no idea how the record's going to be received and, and 
and whatnot. And it's just like, it's been overwhelming seeing the, the love and, uh, uh, respect that the fans have for the for the band and you know a part of that too is that it's like oh you've saved 2020 and all that but it's it's just really overwhelming and really really awesome to see them. I'm, I'm i'm very happy for the band and proud of the job they've done on this record and for yourself too you're a part of it you're you're part of the acdc family so take some credit there thanks man just before we get into the questions, I wanted to ask if you were to frame five albums in your house from any band that you're most proud of that you've worked on, what would those bands be? Oh, that's a tough one. God, there's so many of them. <laughs> um, you know, there's the, the ACDC. Uh, uh, I love working with the Metallica guys. Uh, yeah. Aerosmith was is definitely up there because they were the ones that kind of believed in me first that gave me my first shot. So they were that's right. Uh, they were way up there. The, the cult was really fun to work with. Uh, Blue Murder, Dan Reed. Um, yeah, there's, there's a bunch of them. That's, that's probably my six. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's great. Right off the top of your head, that's not too bad. And it does go on and on. I mean, even the story with Jimmy Page is pretty incredible, producing Jimmy yeah. Page. That's, that's awesome. Okay, Mike, so we're now going to pass the mic over to my partner in crime, Greg Ferguson, and we're both going to alternate a speed round of listener questions sent in from ACDC Beyond the Thunder fans from around the globe. So, And remember, Mike, keep your answers in the form of a question. Just kidding. <laughs> Go ahead, Greg. Yeah, yeah, we got some, we got some great questions from our listeners. So, so thanks to all of them for sending them in. We'll, we'll try to get the, to most of them. Um, the first couple are very... Uh, technical questions which is kind of cool i think some people really want to geek out and and know the inner workings and maybe some of the secrets that um you kind of hold there the first one is from jens from uh, stuttgart germany and uh he wants to know out of the amps the microphones and just the gear in general um is that chosen by the band or how much of it is up to you mike well, uh, the band the band brings their gear. Like over the years, like with with Malcolm and Angus, they used to bring you know truckloads of amp heads and and cabinets. And over the years, you know, we'd shoot out each one and each combination. Let's try head A into cabinet D and all that. We'd shoot it all out. We'd always kind of come down to there was two heads and two cabinets for Mal, uh, two or three heads for Angus, and a couple of cabinets. So the last bunch of records we've done, they've only brought those. Like, why bring everything? And, and it always gets the same answer. So it's always been kind of the same same heads and same cabinets. And same with Cliff. Cliff has just got his SVT and, and a couple of bases that he uses. So it, it, the gear is always comes from the band. Uh, and we always shoot out the, the the heads again, you know. And, and when we position the mics, we find a sweet spot in the speakers and stuff. Uh, so that's me. That's down to me. Um, I'm there to capture the sound that's coming out of the speakers uh, out in the studio, you know, and capture it on tape. So I guess it's a team team effort, but yeah, the band are responsible kind of for their sound and I help them get their sound basically. Cool. Um, I think you kind of answered this next question a little bit. This is from Elliot Henderson from Derby, UK. He wants to know particularly what microphones were used on the guitar cabs and also what impact does the choice of mic and the placement have on their sound? Well, I always use uh, for any guitar that I record mostly, uh, 90% is a is a Shure 57 and a uh, 
in a, a 421 mic. Uh, I also uh, sometimes use a, a C414 as a bit of a room mic or a little off-axis mic to kind of add a little bit of the room depth to the sound. Uh, and then the microphone placements are, are quite critical. Uh, I usually have my assistant run out with the big set of head headphones on because it's so loud out there and, and he'll sit there and, and move the mic along front of the speaker and all over the place and, and we'll just, oh, okay, hold it right there and, and check it out. And so it takes a bit of time to get the mics placed right. Like I just don't go up and just kind of throw them up. No, oh, let's try that. Like, you know, we spend some time getting the mics in the right spots. Do those change throughout the session or do you kind of, once you get it locked in, that's how it's going to go for that whole session? Once we get them locked in, that's the best spot for that cabinet. Um, yep. The only time we'll change things up is when we start doing lead guitars. We'll quite often use a separate cabinet and head and then we'll change the mics up according to what we're wanting. Because sometimes you want a little bit more of a sort of a phasey kind of sound, like the mics be a little bit hollow. So what you have to do is put them a little more off access instead of getting that direct sound it's more of a wider sound uh so we play around with them a little more during leads but for rhythms once they're set they're set all right mike this one comes from rob outram from north wales rob says i have no question (laughs) i would just like to say what a fantastic job done mike the engineering and mix sounds absolutely fantastic on shot in the dark and cliff's bass is thundering through that was a you question. Can't it, you can't. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, S. Steve from Massachusetts asks, are there any songs off Power Up that change drastically from formation to final product? That one I don't really know because I don't, most of them I don't know what the original idea riff that Angus came in, him and Mel had, so... Uh, as far as I know, each song, once it got formed into a song thing and I heard them, it, it didn't really change. So for me, it changed as each layer went on. And especially once the vocals and the vocal melody comes on, the song kind of changes what you maybe thought it was. But, you know, when you just hear bass, drums and guitars uh, without a melody, it could be anything. And then the, the melody goes on and then the song kind of, oh, that's what it's doing, you know, so. Uh, but as far as the formation of the song, no, it's 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 all pretty much the same once we start tracking it. Okay, so I got the next one, Mike. Here, uh, this 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 one comes in from Kel Way from Nashville, Tennessee. His question is: You've worked with four different producers on ACDC albums. What is the main thing each one brought to the table that made that respective album that much better? Each producer has their uh, way of interacting and, and working with the band, and, and each one was uh, pretty different. And it's you know sort of bizarre that I'm the sort of common thread through there. Uh, you know, it all ends up the same. Like ACDC don't really need a producer. You know, they know what they're doing, uh, and they do some really kick-ass stuff. But they want sort of the third ear making sure they're on point and pushing them to, to do it better. Uh, and then maybe even suggest changes in the song. Like, Hey, how about if we, you know, change the key? How about if we sing it like this? Uh, you know, they're, they're not making the song for the band. They're helping them get there. So, you know, each guy had his own different way of doing it. The way that it's all similar, <laughs> if that makes any sense. Yeah, it totally does. Um, the next question is from Maya from Toronto. You know, we already know, Mike, that you're pretty good at keeping secrets. And it's probably just part of the job for you. 
Um, but she wants to know, um, you know, with ACDC being such a tight-lipped band, what's the closest that you've come to slipping up and, and letting the world know that the boys were back in business? Uh, I think there's been a few of them, <laughs> especially on this one. Because <laughs> it's got to be this hard. Was to super keep secret. secret. Yeah. Well, it is, especially, you know, like I'm a pretty honest, straightforward person. So when I'm asked a direct question, it's pretty hard to, to say <laughs> nothing, you know, so. Unless it's with us. I try to either steer you away, steer you, yeah, steer you away from it or, you know, I guess the, the no comment is standard. But, you know, I just, I get into a nice conversation with some nice people and it's just really hard to kind of, oops, I guess I shouldn't have said that. Sometimes you get yourself in trouble, I'm sure. Yeah, so this next listener wants to know about the Wrigley show. I don't know anything about that. (laughs) Next next question. (laughs) Okay, this one is from Andrew D, Wales, UK. Hi, Mike. Is there a reason Angus's solos are very short nowadays? You know, I don't know other than... uh, you know, especially the last couple records, um, they've kind of tr- trimmed the song like, songs down a bit. Like, you know, we don't get the big, long six-minute songs anymore. So, mm-hmm. you know, when the songs are all streamlined and no fat on them anymore, um, you know, there's just room for Ang just rip some quick solo off and then let's get back to the, the singing or the chorus. So, uh, you know, I don't think there's any reason. It's just how it just turned out. Yeah, I noticed that trend the 2000s of solos kind of either getting trimmed or even taken out there was this great scene in some kind of monster where uh the band is talking about getting rid of solos and kirk hammett just loses his shit (laughs) (laughs) i don't think so guys but uh that was a good question uh jesus from spain and clint Summers from Iowa asked similar questions, kind of uh, combined them. Which is the song off Power Up after mixing? You said, these boys are awesome. And did you have a favorite moment at that time that you remember most? Now, that's a tough one because on this record, a a lot of the songs uh, I think are great. Um, I guess a personal favorite for me was Miss the Time. Just, yeah. It just... It just makes me feel closer to Mal again or something. I don't know. Yeah. That one's pretty special. Very emotional, for sure. All right. Well, next uh, next question is from G-Cat from Atlanta. G-Cat wants to know, how do you get the rhythm guitar so loud on both sides? They're at the same volume as the stereo value, and it, has, and it sounds awesome. A compliment in there for you. Yeah. Uh, right on. Thank you. Um, you know, the ACDC... Uh, Ever since I've started working with them, their their idea of their guitars is just one track guitar. Nothing's double track. So Mal would be on one side, Angus is on the other. So less is always more. So when there's less of the guitars, you can get them louder in the mix. You know, as soon as you start doubling them up, they're so loud and thick that sure they're nice big wide sound, but then they're back. So if there's only one guitar, you could just turn it up. It's pretty simple, really, but it. You know, their sound is complicated, even though it's simple. It's the same as their, you know, songwriting and, and the way their songs are. They sound simple, but it isn't. 
you know, just try playing one and you'll, you'll know. <laughs> just try playing them. That's what they say. All right. Next question is from uh, Francisco from Argentina. And the um, question is, Power Up has a more historical ACDC sound. Um, but the last few albums, you know, have a more compressed sound compared to the previous releases. With Power Up, was this uh, a feel thing or was this a pursued sound? You know, uh, each record we go in to do, like I've, I've said before, uh, we just go in to do them and there's no uh, sort of plan and perceived idea and let's make this one this way. It's just whatever comes out uh, during that process. You know, uh, it's a team of people working on this and we just put in our 100% and and then when the dust and smoke clears at the end, we'd look at what we got. So it's not really a perceived thing, you know, uh, Again, you know, Brandon was driving this thing and and is the, you know, big part of this. So, you know, maybe he had a something in the back of his mind, but it wasn't we never speak a lot that. We just do the best we can and let's make that that and let's make that guitar loud and let's get that on Brian and you know, and away we go and and uh, each record has its own thing, I guess. Okay, this is from Jim, New South Wales, Australia. I heard Angus once talk about how Malcolm would sometimes point out during recording that the guitar chords between he and Angus would contain notes that would clash. And even though Angus would not hear it straight away, he would eventually, like a week later, he'd be in awe of Malcolm's attention to detail. Can you please describe that attention to detail and the importance it plays in achieving, achieving that magic harmonious sound between the Gibson and the Gretsch? Yeah, that would be more of a Mal and Angus question. You know, when they were in the studio working together, you know, I've seen that come down and, you know, Mal said, hey, Ang, what are you, what are you playing over that? He goes, oh, yeah, no, I'm I'm doing this. Uh, you know, maybe try, you know, he'd, he'd do a few suggestions like that. But I think they worked that stuff out or worked that stuff out more while they were putting, writing the songs, you know. Uh, so I wasn't really privy to, to many of those. I think it's a brother thing, right? They're just connected. Oh, sure. Yeah. Yeah. All right. A few more questions here. Yeah. This is uh, from Michael from Charlotte. Michael's question is a great one, actually. Um, and it's all about, you know, the approach that Angus takes to creating new music. He wants to know, does Angus have his solos kind of pl planned out beforehand? Or is this something that he just improvises and works on, you know, at, on the moment? Uh, I think it's just all at the moment and, and off the cuff. Uh, you know, he just gets out there, we crank the speakers loud and he just turns on his guitar and he just goes. And, you know, sometimes we'll do maybe five or six passes on the solo and, and each pass will, will be something different, you know? So it, it's, I don't know where he gets that from. It's just this natural ability that comes down through him and into his hand, but, uh, he's pretty awesome at it. <laughs> Have you ever been like one take and then we got it, let's move on. Oh, for sure. Uh, lots of times, but we don't move on. We just say, oh, that was, oh, that's it. We've got it. Let's try another one just to see if it's even better, you know? So uh, <laughs> it's hard to just do one take because we're, we're having a blast in there too. We just want to see him do it again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's got to be an amazing sight to see for sure. Well, maybe you can just kind of talk about, you know, how the team is assembled and, and you know, how is you know, start with you as the engineer and, and who else is in the, in the room with you. And then, and who, how, how are the producers chosen for each album? You know, with the production, I'm not sure. Uh, I do know that uh, 
you know, they really enjoyed working with Bruce on the first record. Uh, and then Bruce died before we did the, the next record uh, together. So they got uh, Rick Rubin, which, uh, you know, started out as being a great combination. I thought, you know, cause Rick's a lot of his records he's done. He's always tried to emulate ACDC. Um, and that was, you know, kind of a tumultuous thing. And I think I went into a little bit of that in the first part one. Yeah. Um, and then I know they got George in and pulled him out of retirement because, you know, George is George, their, their older brother. Uh, and they wanted somebody, uh, you know, sort of more like what Bruce did. And I guess Bruce and George were fairly similar in things. So not that I was privy to those decisions, but, you know, I can guess on, um, you know, as far as their relationship with Brendan, I don't know how that started and, and all that, but I think it's been a really good fruit, uh, fruitful one. Brendan is really talented. You know, he's a musician himself, so he's able to, you know, suggest maybe not chords, but hey, let's do this to get to there or whatever. Like he, he's a pretty integral part of of putting these lacquers together for sure. And then, uh, you know, I guess I just lucked out getting in there <laughs> in the early days. And again, you know, I'm always surprised that I'm sort of the constant factor. They've changed producers a few times, but I'm still there. But maybe because, you know, I'm pretty easygoing, uh, you know, we're, we're kind of like family. So uh, that's kind of it. <laughs> Perhaps you are the secret ingredient, Mike. Oh, I don't know about that. I think I just make them laugh and then they say, oh, let's get that Fraser guy in again. He's funny. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, here's our last question of the day from Chio, Tokyo, Japan. Uh, do you ever have any crazy fans show up and distract the band while recording or famous ones who just want to hang out in the studio with ACDC? You know, I do know that there's sort of a certain group of them that'll show up every day with a big giant armful of, of records to get signed, which the band will sign them. And then the next day is the same guy with another armful and they just tell him to hit the road because, you know, basically he's just getting them signed to sell them on eBay and they hate that. They love fans. They don't like right. the scammers. Yeah. So right. I know that's, that really bothered them, especially this last record. There's a lot of the scammers. And then that whole business with the telephoto across the, the thing with the roof and pictures of them not having smoke really pissed them off. Yeah, you know, I bet. One, they're trying to do a surprise record for the fans and keep it all under wrap. And two, you know, just leave us alone while we're doing this, you know? Yeah. <laughs> like they're a very approachable band. You know, if you see them walking in the street or the restaurant, they don't mind saying, oh, hi, and, and all that. But, you know, when we're working on that, and we put up some barricades and these people were trying to get around the barricades, getting pictures. And it's like, just leave us alone. It was just irritating. Like I say, this band loves their fans and, and, and does everything they can for them. They just ask for a little bit of privacy at certain times, you know? Sure. Uh, how about any famous musicians or actors or whoever just want to show up and hang? No, this it's it's business time in the studio with with this band, and you know if if you've noticed too at, at all their live shows, they don't really have any guest appearances come up and jam with them or whatever. Uh, the only time I can think of is you know when they played with the Stones, and uh, I, mean, I think it was them that jumped up and jammed with the Stones. I was there in Toronto when that was awesome. They played uh, "Rock Me Baby" from BB King. Yeah, right on. <laughs> well, that's it. Um, ACDC, Beyond the Thunder listeners, a valiant job putting Mr. Frazier on the spot. And Mike, we can't express enough how much 
We've enjoyed your extended participation in parts one and part two of this podcast series. Thank you, guys. You you always make it uh, really easy, and I don't feel too much like I'm on the hot seat. You know, maybe a couple <laughs> questions here. And there. Not anymore. Not anymore. The the cat's out of the bag now, right? Yeah, right. So um, it's easy to see why ACDC and so many other bands keep coming back to you album after album and not just for your production acumen, but just you're a great guy. So thanks. Thanks again for doing this. Oh, thanks. Thanks very much. Yeah. If you were ever to star in a James Bond film, I think it would be called The Man with the Golden Ears. <laughs> What's that? Ear? <laughs> <laughs> Out of curiosity, Mike, um, since you've seen this formula of firsthand being created right in the lab, can you describe this phenomenon called ACDC? Since Beyond the Thunder is really about, you know, how it's influenced so many people and how, how has it affected your life? How has ACDC affected you? Oh, you know, in a huge way. Like when I first saw them back in maybe 78 or, or something, uh, and I think, again, I told you that in my first episode, you know, I was like, who are these guys? Oh, these guys are great. And so they've gotten all their, all their stuff there they've ever done. So, you know, actually being, get to work with them has just been a bonus. Um, but, you know, I think what it, the, the thing with these guys is, is they're just a blue collar band, you know, shirt t-shirts and uh, they don't have any sort of airs or rock starness about them. They're very honest. Uh, they, they write and play what they, what they enjoy playing and hopefully the fans like it too uh so they they're never trying to pretend they're something not you know what they are is what they are and they're freaking awesome at it well mike awesome well said we always end the show with the final question of if you had to sum up acdc in one word mike frazier what would that word be power up acdc beyond the thunder theme song trailer trash written and performed by gannon arnold VO Talent by Bruce Jacobson. Cinematography and sound recording by Greg Ferguson. Edited and mixed by Eric Keel. Written, directed, and hosted by Kurt Squires. Produced by Greg Ferguson, Eric Keel, and Kurt Squires. ACDC Beyond the Thunder is a Squires LLC current motion production. Copyright Beyond the Thunder podcast. All rights reserved. This has been a Nat Attack presentation. Shazbot. Nanu Nanu. Nanu.